to episode 39 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore the themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate and interiors. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings and Biofit Wellness Concepts. This week, we're in New York City, talking to Lily Turner, Director of Operations at Urban Strong, a company providing green building technology solutions for enhanced productivity and wellness benefits. In particular here, we focus on living walls and living wall dividers. Lily does reference Alan Birchall a couple of times. That's Urban Strong's principle. We have Alan lined up for a subsequent episode already when we're going to talk solar and green roofs in urban environments. Lily, meanwhile, is quite the green wall expert. Our discussion covers the health and wellness benefits of these living walls within the wider context of biophilic design, the practical constraints of installing a living wall, moss walls as a hassle-free alternative in low or no light scenarios, the air purifying, noise reducing and mood enhancing benefits of these installations, as well as the interplay between green and healthy building certifications, citywide legislation on this stuff and the type of interior greenery solutions offered by Lily and Alan at Urban Strong. If like me, you normally listen to your podcast sped up to 1.5 normal speed, you may want to bring this one back down. We're in Brooklyn, people. Expect a short, punchy convo with just a touch of the borough's background noise for authenticity. If you enjoy this episode, please hit subscribe. We release new episodes every week. Lily's contact details are in the show notes. Check out urbanstrong.com. Let's do it. Lily, awesome to have you here on the show. Why don't we start with you describing a little bit of the showroom that you're currently sitting in, because I can see it, but listeners can't, and uh, there's lots to talk about. So why don't you tell us what you've got? Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's amazing. I come every day and walk into a jungle, um, which I'm very thankful for. But our studio slash showroom is located in the iconic Brooklyn Navy Yard in Brooklyn, New York. Um, since Urban Strong is technology agnostic, meaning we offer you know several different green wall technologies depending on project goals or design parameters or, or of course, budget. Um, that being said, our studio is full of different living wall systems, small and large, everything ranging from $300 to what could easily be a hundred or $200,000 system. Um, and they all feature different irrigation designs too. That's a, a key thing, right? The idea of the different irrigation designs. I know there's a lot of, of different sort of solutions out there. So if we're, if we're mostly talking about vertical gardens today and their, their various shapes and, and sizes, right? So before we sort of jump off into any other directions, why don't we just talk a little bit about those living walls and the, and the systems that are out there and which ones you work with in particular? Yeah. So like I said, we offer just a range of different living wall technologies. Um, we have everything from the DIY, or I like to refer to as the PIY, plant it yourself. Um, they're fairly intuitive designs, all encompassing. So really all that's required for these little plant frames is that you just mount it to the wall using you know, nothing different than a couple drywall screws and anchors, like you'd be mounting a shelf or a painting. Um, and then there's dedicated pockets for you to plant these four to six inch um, potted plants in. And the irrigation design with those systems are capillary wicking action. So it's no different than a tiki torch concept. You know, there's a cloth or a string uh, draped in a little uh, reservoir of water, and then um, it creeps up the cloth and the plants' roots get the drink that way. In terms of constraints in, in installing a wall, keeping it alive in the medium term, I know there's there are some horror stories out there, right, about sort of walls that just sort of die and then need to be replaced or you know, sometimes I think certainly with clients that I work with, there's there's a sense that, oh, it's just something you can, you know, it's so easy to install. But then when, when we get into it, perhaps there's sometimes 
you know, there are there's issues, for example, like getting access to a water source and things like that. So, in your experience, like what are the what are the hurdles that, that someone should be aware of before jumping into uh, with a living wall? So, just being conscious of of you know what can or what can what um, precautions can be taken in advance so that everything runs smoothly. Sure. Um, of course, with any living thing, um, and let's just focus on plants for today's call. Um, water and light um, sources are, are required to keep the plants not just surviving, but thriving. Um, so of course, a reliable and somewhat automated irrigation design is necessary for all living walls. Um, if you don't have immediate access to plumbing, which oftentimes retrofits or light renovations don't, um, then a recirculating irrigation solution is required, which just calls for a submersible silent pump, no different than what you'd find in a fish tank. Um, and then with in terms of lighting, every living wall manufacturer designer has their own minimum or their own standard for um, the amount of foot candles and exposure the wall receives. Um, for us, we're a bit higher and a little more strict on that, but um, we require artificial lighting to be brought into the space if there's not enough natural lighting um, exposed to the wall. Is and that then, a particular type of artificial lighting or is it is it a particular type of LED? So I do want to complement the lighting industry they've really come a long way um, a lot of people still actually think when they hear grow lights they think of those really disruptive red and purple shining lights but now there's a ton of amazing um, led lights metal highlight lights on the market um, that can match the warm interior lighting of um, the other fixtures anything from like 2700 to 4000 kelvin the lights really or the living walls i'm sorry really appreciate so is it the intensity or the color spectrum that's of most relevance for the for the plants? So it's, a, it's a bit of both. You know, plants uh, read a certain color spectrum, the reds and um, the purples, and, and that uh, is needed for them to photosynthesize, sorry, photosynthesize. Um, but also a certain foot candle level is required uh, for them to be happy. And that's even true for our low-light tropical plants. So within that, there was then a piece, I think I just want to pull that out, but you know, while there is perhaps the sort of large scale, large format installation, mm -hmm. I can see that you also have these smaller solutions. And that was sort of where we connected looking at these panels. So you can have these sort of standalone panels now that, that have integrated light and, and irrigation systems, right? Because in a sense that they're kind of complete solutions in one, you can almost sort of move them around within a space. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Um, I think you're referring to our mobile living wall dividers, and those are a lot of fun, and they're increasing um, in popularity as well. I suggest those to designers and architects on a weekly basis. They're great for the post-pandemic return to the offices, um, and they're you know more living and thriving than those uh, nasty flexi-glass or acrylic partitions that you might see in spaces. But with our mobile living wall dividers, you're absolutely right. We have a um, LED bar that kind of cantilevers from the top, and then a water reservoir, depending on the unit, can hold anywhere from 100 to 150 gallons of water. So all that's needed is a standard 120B um, outlet which is usually found in office uh, space versus some of our customizable larger living wall systems that we spec. Um, you know, we need a proper uh, water source and cold water zones running through. We also need drainage. And then again, we need to bring in the artificial lighting. So that can get a little um, costly. So then effectively there's, there's two paths ahead. There's ones where you just need a, a smaller scale intervention and one where there's a bit more space available and yeah, there's slightly more, uh, practical considerations in it. So cool. I think that's I think that's very clear. But if we take a step back then and look at the why behind this, you know, one sometimes ends up in conversations around biophilia and, and sort of well, nature first, right? And it's almost as if um, 
nature in itself is an argument and justification for doing these things. And on some romantic level, I guess it is. And certainly I'm sort of in that camp, but you know, often there's slightly more practical considerations around, okay, well, what's the, I don't want to say ROI, but like, why are we doing this beyond it looking good? So when you talk about biofilm design, when you talk about the benefits, the well-being, mental and physical benefits of being uh, surrounded by or spending time close to one of these uh, green interventions within an interior space, typically what are the, what are the sort of key points that you're, you're leveraging there? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. Um, you know, like you said, living walls are first appreciated and for good reason for their aesthetics. They're, you know, considered obvious striking forms of art. But like you said, they offer, you know, a myriad of uh, different benefits from environmental, psychological, physiological and economic. Um, so first, I mean, just touching on environmental benefits. Plants um, have the ability to purify the air. They should be thought of as natural uh, air purifiers. And oftentimes, you know, indoor pollution levels caused by things like cleaning products or building materials, carpets, paints, mold, they can be even worse than those outdoor pollution levels. So in most living wall systems, the plant root zone absorbs volatile organic compounds such as benzene, formaldehyde, acetone, ammonia, to name a few. Um, and it works like this. The air is actively drawn through the plants and the growing medium, and then the cleaned air is then redistributed throughout the building. Um, and then also for environmental benefits, we like to touch on reduction in urban heat island effect, um, which in dense urban areas and concrete jungles like New York City, um, you know, the use of plants, parks, living walls and green roofs really work to reduce the heat island effect by cooling the ambient temperature around. Um, plants also are wonderful, like noise absorbent or noise pollution uh, mitigators. So plants can absorb about up to 40% more than traditional facades can. And then of course, increase in biodiversity with exterior living walls. Um, this has been depleting again in dense urban areas as we continue to de develop with hard materials like concrete and glass. Um, so living walls just provide those alternative uh, ecological habitats for migratory species. Um, and then for more psychological and physiological benefits, you know, people just feel more relaxed in natural settings. Um, this is the premise to biophilic um, design or just biophilia in general. So we as living creatures share that deeply affiliated association with life and just simply put life is attracted to other forms of life. So in this innate affinity for life, um, this provides opportunities for building owners and designers and architects to really foster environments which elicit positive responses uh, from their tenants or their shoppers, workers, patients, uh, whoever's interacting in that space. Um, and then, oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt. Oh, I just think it's a, it's the way you described it. It's a very, it, there's this combination, this balance between the yin and the yang, between the sort of down to earth, the practical side around uh, you know, sound absorbing, noise absorbing, but also you know, helping to purify the air and this slightly harder to pin down and quantify, probably more of a qualitative benefit, but completely there, right? I mean, you just, you can't quite describe why, but this is ultimately the biophilia hypothesis, right? There's just this, there's just this connection in all of us and within our Right. within our psyche and we just it's the same reason why it feels good to have a quiet moment in a garden or a forest just to listen to the birds sing you know just occasionally to do that and be a natural animal versus being this kind of like you know this sort of urban version of ourselves and, and i think you know with enough of space with enough space given over to these green walls you can really start to get into that and i think that's the magic the magic I, of them absolutely um you know 
we as humans are just so deeply connected and interwoven with um, nature and, and the natural world and realizing that, I mean, it is starting to become measurable. Uh, some of it can be a, um, considered or perceived as a bit of a reach, but there is substantial evidence, um, white papers and journals produced around productivity costs and creativity costs associated with the worker. Um, employee retention rates is big. Um, and then also um, the ability to reduce recovery times, which I know hospitals appreciate not to be crass, but sometimes it's almost treated like restaurants. They want you to heal as quickly as possible, turn over the bed. And when you add all that up on an annual budget, that can save them uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, the hospital recovery rates one is interesting. It does come up quite a lot. I mean, I think when one digs into the you know the Ulrich study, which I think was like mid eighties, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one starts to ask questions of why nothing more has been done since then in terms of creating some some solid data because we all go back to that same study that was done you know, quite a while ago. But then you see what's happening in places like Singapore and Hong Kong, where they're starting now to integrate you know serious levels of biophilia into their uh, latest hospitals and and that's for me a real sign that um, there's there's a commitment on that level and that there's uh, a sense of of tangible benefits tangible health benefits uh, around those recovery times and also sort of the mental the mental health piece you mentioned uh, the air purifying benefits and I think you know there's it's a hot topic right now for obvious reasons indoor environmental or indoor air quality in particular. Do you need to choose, therefore, specific air purifying species within the plant walls in order to do that? How does that, what are your restrictions in terms of the plant species to achieve like maximum air purifying benefits? Sure, that's a great question. And it goes back to our, our initial assessment uh, with the client or the architect and just really trying to identify the goals of the product um, or the project, I'm sorry. Um, so if the client is uh, really set on air purification, then we'll, we will incorporate species such as Chinese evergreen, um, peace lily, snake plants, uh, ZZ plants. Some species are known more for their uh, indoor purification than others. And that's simply due to the um, kind of electromagnetic charge in the air with the dust particles in the plant leaves. Um, So they're actually sucking the dust and harmful particulate matter out of the air, if not to their roots, but you can also see it on their leaves too. So what might look like water spots, if you look closely, it's actually just dust built up. Um, And those leaves also is a part of, um, sorry, that leaf cleaning is also a part of our maintenance that we do. um, So the plants can, again, properly... uh, photosynthesize and we're not um, kind of filtering their light that they receive on those leaves. So what you referenced there is the idea of having to, and it's a very common theme, but the idea of needing to, on a case-by-case, project-by-project basis, establish priorities around planetary and people health and well-being. And it's, I think it's, it's one of the toughest parts of doing what we do, which is uh, that sometimes it's just not possible to do everything and to, to sort of hit the, t- the high notes, both in terms of environmental sustainability and human health and well-being. And sometimes somewhere along the line, there's a, there's a call to be made. For example, okay, we, we really need to focus on indoor air quality in this office environment mm-hmm. versus, and there's some sacrifices to be made, right? It's a very realistic approach. And it's, it's interesting to hear it coming from, from your side as well, because it's, yeah, there are, there, are, there are often compromises along the way. And it's a very real situation that we're all going through sort of pretty much every day in in what we do. Uh, I wanted to look into the sort of alternative version then. So you also have moss walls, which 
in some ways, I think, create a similar visual effect, perhaps not quite the same, and yet still very much part of this sort of, well, how can we bring a biophilic component in to pretty much cover an entire wall or as a panel? So how do you see those and how do you typically communicate around them versus having a real living wall? Because the moss is effectively preserved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, I can't speak for other companies, but our preserved moss is harvested according to ecological practices. So the moss is preserved using a food grade safe glycerin and then natural dyes are pumped back into uh, the different species to really give that vibrancy. But it very much, I mean, you can almost think of it as taxidermy, right? I mean, very much of the texture is still there and, and the color and um, and it does also still have that woody smell, especially uh, initially when we install a larger scale moss wall. Um, but moss walls are, are great. Um, for the longest time, you know, I always kept them in my back pocket. I just had such a love and admiration for living walls. And that's how I got my start. But I really did a ton of moss walls just due to last year, you know, new construction was was halted all over the world. So we really had to come up with a retrofit solution for the people that still were continuing to design their interior homes or, or spaces. Um, our preserved moss doesn't need any water or light to thrive, uh, which is really great. Um, I won't say it's zero maintenance because I have installed moss walls in lobbies before. And just when you're handling, especially in New York City, when hundreds of people are going through that lobby, there is a bit of foot traffic. And sometimes the moss walls can take a beating if people want to tug and pull on things, you know, even as adults, we're, we're so curious beings. But um, I, I really do think, yeah, there's a time and place for every system. And if I was you know, consulting with a client and they said, hey, we can't give you any water or light, then I would absolutely, and I do absolutely um, recommend our preserved moss because it's a great way of uh, incorporating still a natural element into our built environment, which is ultimately the goal. Yeah, I do. I've used them in the past on gym spaces where, you know, there's a brief around biophilic design or biophilic interiors, but as is often the case with a, a gym or a, some kind of a wellness space or physical activity space you know it's a lower ground but there's no natural light or it's a sort of an internal room where again there's just no access to, to daylight and and so there I pretty much have to flip into moss wall or moss panel territory and yeah I think just reading between the lines I think it's worth clarifying that there are products out there that are not of the same eco-friendly standard as yours so there are versions that are not using natural dyes etc so I think that's what I picked up from doing my research on the particular ones that you stock. And it, it kind of yeah highlighted that in my mind that, you know, there is some variety out there in terms of quality and, and eco-friendliness. So good on you for finding the, the, the right one, so to say. Yeah, absolutely. We, we definitely heavily vet every technology that comes in. Um, we do offer quite a range of technologies, but again, they've all been carefully considered and, um, you know, tried and tested before we bring them into a public or a client space. So I know it's not your area of, of, of expertise, but I know you do also do the green roofs and the, the solar panels within the Urban Strong offering. So just as a very sort of quick overview, what are the what are the details of that service? Like how do they integrate into the, you're typically selling or going in on a project with multiple strands, so sort of multiple product uh, offerings, or is it, and are there synergies between them almost? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Urban Strong does specialize in design, insulation, and ongoing maintenance for living walls and greeners. But we also, um, there's another side to our business, uh, which Alan will get more into, but um, the financing and the technology consulting side. So 
we have a lot of condo or co-op board members come to us. Um, New York, I'm sorry, just uh, incorporated a few local laws mandating that um, folks outfit their roofs with uh, either solar or green roof. So a lot of people are calling us and saying, okay, I want a green roof. Oh no, I want solar. How do I decide between and what's the ROI associated? So we'll walk them through a very careful assessment. Um, we'll ask some really high level questions and mainly around the structural integrity of the roof, um, just because there is a weight load associated with uh, our different green roof systems. You know, you're dealing with growing medium and soil and all of that. Um, and also just, again, their goals, if they want you know, if they have enough capital up front and they want to invest, then we think solar is a better option because right now the payback period is great. It's not just net metering. Uh, we, um, I'm sorry, New York uh, just offered up this community solar program um, that you can actually sell your energy back, um, energy that you collect far beyond what the building is using. Um, and it's a nice little passive revenue stream for, for the building owners. So there's either, at that slightly more, strategic level there's there's either something happening at a municipal or a city or state level whereby there's new regis- legislation coming through and that in a sense is designed to push the industry forward and collectively within the real estate and interiors industry for to encourage uh, more integration of natural components i think in in a sense it's doing the same type of work but in a coming at it from a, a different angle as the building certifications that are out there, things like LEED, things like WELL and FITWELL, that in, a, in their own way do a similar job, which is nudging us all forward, particularly in, in real estate, uh, towards greener and healthier solutions. So how do your particular products fit in with LEED, WELL, etc., if they do? Absolutely. Um and lead and well are great. Um, they're both amazing um, standards and organizations, and they have largely been responsible for, like you said, incentivizing building owners and architects to start incorporating natural elements into their designs. Um, when we're discussing exterior living wall installations, for leads, several points are possible, and that's just due to reduced heat island effect, uh, potential for water efficiency, meaning that you could harvest stormwater and uh, work it into the irrigation design of the living wall. Um, through collection. And then other points, of course, are gained through optimizing energy efficiency performance. Uh, that's through thermal insulation of our systems. Uh, innovation and operation is another uh, category. And then occupant comfort. And that, that's all within the under the lead umbrella. And then for well-building standard, uh, living walls help satisfy three out of the set, seven core concepts of um, that standard. So it's air, mind, and comfort. Comfort is mostly associated with the plant's ability to um, mitigate noise pollution um, and reduce sound in an area. So lead slightly more towards a more fundamentally based around sort of planet and, and environment and well coming at it from a more a more human aspect. Just to close then, in terms of what you you have lined up and where, where the business is going and where you see yourselves developing in future in terms of product and services like what's coming next what's what's in the pipeline for live for urban strong um i mean if you asked me last year the answer would be completely different i i applaud urban strong we've always remained um really flexible and um, our willingness to pivot i think has really helped us through especially covid um last year we released an online store uh, with those shippable plant diy friendly systems i was explaining earlier and that really got us through um, it also connected us to the consumer base one thing i really don't love about the living wall system is that 
still there's a minimum square footage assigned to it just due to economies of scale. And therefore, there's a minimum budget that you need to have, which is can be upwards of $25,000. So it's really excluding to the small, medium-sized budgets. Um, so we're really ex excited about that revenue stream that's tailored and focused more on the consumer. Um, and then also, and this is more Alan's uh, area of expertise, our principal, but um, our ability to just really consult and help building owners um, or property developers and condo and co-op board members that have a budget and don't really have um, access to education sources and don't know really how to best spend their money and, um, you know, how it fits in with their goals. So we're really excited about uh, not just the roofing, but the living wall aspect as well. Very cool. Well, we're going to line up a separate conversation with Alan to go into some of those other juicy subjects. So listen, thanks for your time. If people want to reach out and contact you, obviously there's a website, but in terms of social media or other channels, what are you, what are you mostly focused on? Um, yeah, so our website is great. Um, I think on every page we have a call to action, contact us or let's chat button. Um, we like to consider ourselves really accessible and we just love having these conversations. Um, and then also our Instagram handle is urbanstrongnyc. Um, we post not only our projects, but our partners' projects, and then just really notable products um, in the industry we like to put a spotlight on and just keep up to date with what the new technologies are and what you can do uh, with these living wall and green roof systems. Um, and then, of course, my personal email also should be on the website, um, but maybe we can post that too in case anyone has any questions or follow-up uh, comments on this. Will do. Awesome. Billy, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it, Matt. Take care. Happy holidays. Till next time.